Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cotton Yarns, the podcast for Australian cotton growers where we'll pick the brains of the best and brightest of our industry to help you get the most out of your crop. G'day everyone, welcome back to another episode of Cotton Yarns. I hope you all had a good break over the holiday period, got to catch up with some friends and family, but we're back into it now. We're finally getting some warmer weather and seeing that cotton take off, which is fantastic to see all over the growing valleys. Although in some places it is a little bit dry and we'd really love rain, especially here in Gundawindi, we've got a lot of dry land crops that could really need a drink. But I know a lot of people around are starting to see signs of vert in their crops. Um, Unfortunately, the cool wet start we had plays into the favour of verticillium wilt. You'll notice vert in your crops uh, the leaves will be going brown, the crop will start to wilt. It is an extremely infectious disease. It can have some pretty significant impacts on the yield of your crop. So a while ago, I recorded this podcast with uh, extension and development agronomist for the Nemoy Valley, Bob Ford, and he goes into a little bit about how the disease affects the plants, and then we have a bit of a chat about some of the ways that you can reduce the severity of it on your farm if you do have it in your soil already. It's one of those diseases that is nearly impossible to get rid of at the moment, as well as some some of the other ways that you can prevent vert from coming onto your farm if you don't have it already. So that's enough from me. Let's get into it. Rightio, Bobby. Welcome to the Cotton Yarns podcast, mate. Thanks, Angus. You're welcome. Mate, we're going to have a bit of a a chat today about one of the major issues in the cotton industry at the moment, particularly in northern New South Wales and southern Queensland, and that is the V word, verticillium will. Yep. Mate, but before we kick off on that, do you just want to introduce yourself, tell us what you do in the industry? I know plenty of people will probably know you out there, mate. You're pretty famous. Well, infamous might be the word, Angus, but yeah, I'm Bob Ford. I'm extension and development agronomist for CSD, probably for the last 12 years, and then I worked for another seed company previous to that, which we all know. So I've been in the industry probably since 1997, I think. One of the dinosaurs of the industry? Well, you'd be approaching the, the <laughs> dinosaur era. Well, I'm not as grey as Quinny, but getting there. <laughs> getting there. Right, I mate, but... So you've been doing a lot of work around verticillium wilt, particularly over the past sort of four or five years, um, with it being probably the major issue in the Nemoy, would you say, um, which is the area you look after? Yeah, I think it's the number one issue that takes yield away from cotton growers at the moment, unfortunately. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a bit of a bugger, but for those sort of people who don't really know what vert is, uh, mate, do you just want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so vert is a, a vascular um, disorder. It's soil-borne, so and it's fungus. So fungus is in the soil, in most soils, you know, around the Namoy and into the cool areas. It's you know, more prominent in larger yep. numbers, and the root system takes it up into the actual with the xylem. It infects the actual stem of the plant, which eventually ends up in the leaves, and obviously. The leaves, if they can't photosynthesise, well, they're not bringing the goodies into the bowls. Yep. So, yeah, it's typically a disease that is brought on by cooler weather. Yeah, yeah, and we have seen it pretty severely in the last, particularly the last two seasons, mate, with the with the really cool conditions at flowering, 
moving throughout the rest of the season and, and as well as the wet weather. I know this season I saw it uh, a lot at sort of around first flower, which I hadn't usually seen in the past couple of years. I've been in the cotton industry coming into the into the crop that early, which is really sort of stuffed up crops from the get-go. They haven't had a chance to, to put on yield at all, really, which is a real shame. Yeah, look, it's, it's nearly the perfect storm the last couple of years for verticillium wilt. You know, cool conditions at the start and wet, and uh, that brings it on early. We don't normally see it early in Australia because of the warmer conditions that we see sort of through November, December and January, but because we've had such cool weather early and also some pretty mild temperatures then followed up by rainfall throughout the season, it has spiked. Um, yep. So, like you are saying, even here in the Namoi we saw some massive infection levels early and we thought the worst for it, but yeah, at the end of the day they've scraped through mainly I think because the the temperatures didn't drop off too badly in January and February. They were mild temperatures but they weren't, you know, freezing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a number of factors why it's it's such a major disease, so it it spreads pretty rapidly throughout farms and in between valleys. It's sort of slowly been making its way down into the southern cotton growing valleys of New South Wales. But mate, do you want to tell us a little bit how it spreads? Yeah, so, I mean, the disease itself is uh, you know, very easily spread by water and debris. So, you know, from field to field, farm to farm, it can be on tractor tyres, it can be on shoes, it can be spread in water. Um, it can be spread by weeds, like Nagura burris, you know, a, a host of the disease, and you know, those burrs can go a long way down the river yeah, um, yep. and be sucked up by pumps and into fields and it's a pretty virulent sort of disease it tends to be able to hang on on particularly on stubble and that sort of stuff or host plants and it lasts a long long time and hence why we've seen it spread from you know, the Namoi over the years all the way down into the Macquarie and obviously the Murrumbidgee seeing quite quite a few fields these days with vert and that is a big issue because they've got cooler starts and cooler finishes yeah, and they, they've already got really sort of massive issues at the moment with with black root rot. You know, if they get verticillium wilt, it's going to pose major issues for southern New South Wales. So I think the come clean, go clean protocols are going to be have to something that growers down on there focus on, you know, pretty severely over the next year or two. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the you know when we, when we had the come clean, go clean messages going out in the 90s, and all that, uh, you know, the Murrumbidgee didn't exist yeah. when it come to cotton. Um, so it sort of highlights that messaging through extension is very, very important um, when it comes to this disease. We know it can easily be spread, as we mentioned before, uh, just by a car going through a muddy paddock on a property in the Namoi, and it can go all the way to the Murrumbidgee. So, yeah, yeah it's, um, it's one of these diseases that tends to survive and be very very viable in cooler conditions and it's the perfect scenario down south yeah and you've mentioned a couple of reasons why it's so hard to control um its ability to spread rapidly to survive in the soil over long periods of time you know even over drought but another reason why it's so hard to control is there's actually two pathogens for verticillium wilt so there's a non-defoliating strain and a defoliating strain do you want to tell us a little bit about you know what these two strains are and 
in sort of some of the severe cases where you can actually find two of the two, the same pathogen in the same plant, the two of the past pathogens, sorry, in the same plant. Yeah, so I guess as molecular biology has gone and all the DNA work that's occurred over the last 10 to 15 years, we've been able to actually isolate these different strains within a lot of the diseases, not just, you know, vertisin and wilt, but, you know, the strains that are mostly in Australia of vertisin wilt are defoliating strain and also the, and the normal strain that we've seen over many, many years I guess in some ways we've been selecting for those diseases, which we didn't really know about because there wasn't this DNA analysis that we could do quickly 15 years ago. Yeah. So we've, we've actually seen a lot of varieties being grown with up against both these different strains and they behave differently um, yep. in terms of the way they affect the plant. One actually can defoliate the plant, as its name suggests, very, very quickly when conditions turn right for it in January under, under you know, a, a stress load. Um, and that stress load could be as simple as a bowl load. Normal uh, vertisine wilt strain, which we see, we've had for a long time, and you don't see as much defoliation by it, but you still see the yield loss through just affecting the, the actual main vessels of the plant, which is the xylem, being able to take nutrients up yeah. into the plant. So they've been here for a while, and both those strains uh, have caused massive yield loss too. And we are talking about it earlier today at a meeting where you know, the range of actual yield loss is you know, seven to eight bales per hectare in some Yeah, areas. that's massive. It's massive, yeah. Mm-hmm. So in today's age, you look at, you know, what is it, 800 bucks a bale? That's you know, over 5,000 bucks a hectare. Yeah, definitely. Loss. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why it's so hard for, you know, the breeders to be able to breed any host plant resistance for verticillium wilt is because the two pathogens act on a molecular level. They act very differently and, you know, a lot of people would have heard Warwick Stiller talk about, you know, there is stuff coming down the pipeline, but, you know, it's still a long, long time away in terms of being commercialised. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a difficult disease because, you know, the longer it takes to... It's a catch-22 scenario where the, you might be working really hard at it and, and trying to, you know, you find varieties that are resistant to one, but they might not be resistant to the other. And not only that, the longer it takes you to actually find, you know, this resistant variety or the higher tolerance variety, you know, the, the more the actual strains uh, mutate and can actually become worse. Yep. So very, very similar to COVID, as we've seen over the last couple of years with all the different strains and various other things of that, that similarly you can see exactly the same with the... That's why it's really hard to to actually breed for. Yeah, yep, yep. And, mate, we'll move into some of the work you've been doing um, over the past couple of years. I've been pretty fortunate enough to be involved in it. The first couple of years I was CSD working under you, mate, and learning everything I know from you, but... Do you want to run us through sort of some of the work you have been doing and, and some of the findings that, that have been affecting vert levels in those trials? Yeah, I look. I think, you know, Steve Allen initiated a lot of the work that was done on vert back in the, uh, you know, the 80s and the, and the 90s, and it was all good stuff um, in terms of being able to make people aware of the disease and how virulent it was 
and that come clean, go clean, you know, message come come from that, which is really good. But we've been trying to actually work on looking at some of the, you know, solutions to the actual issue, which is more resistance in variety or or management techniques that might help with the disease. And I think one big thing is to note that it's actually got to a point these days where it really is a balance between acceptable disease presence and economic sustainability. We've got to live with it, similar to what we're going to live with COVID, if we Mm -hmm. want to use it again. And it's just, it means that we've got to do all we can when we grow crops to make sure that the crop does not become really infected with the disease because we know if it gets infected early and actually it gets into those leaves and defoliates it, well, you're going to to lose yield and you're going to lose money out of it. So... Some of the work we've been concentrating on is, is just re- reminding growers of you know, some of the really simple things that they can do to actually you know, to create an early crop, you know, get it in early, um, grow it properly, try to reduce the stress in the crop through good irrigation management. You know, don't be putting on cold water on, on the crops like early and things like that, which could yep. bring the disease on. You know, over nitrogen applications it seems just to create a bigger plant and then it's hard to stop so you create longer maturity in a lot of cases with those crops which then opens itself up for late season disease yep um which is an issue and you know you want to try and create an early crop that you you know get it off before you know, generally what we see is a drop off in temperature in february with rainfall uh, tend to bring the disease on really strongly under a heavier bolo so you want to try and create that crop yeah, that's finishing off quite nicely and without the actual presence of the disease. Um, yeah, to lose those top six or seven nodes to your crop, there's, that's, where you, that's where the sweet spot is in terms of getting that extra yield. So, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a catch-22. If you, if you plant later on to try and get out of the cold period, you know, tendency is to have a later crop. So you've got to have a real balancing act of when you plant um, to try and create that crop that is going to come in still relatively early in the whole scheme of things. Um, CSD, have, I guess, have taken a role in trying to actually come up with some of the answers. Um, we've been working and looking at a lot of work that has been done by Linda Smith and also some overseas people with their different strains of vertisium wilt to try and come up with some answers. And to be perfectly honest, a lot of the stuff that we've done as you know we haven't got a lot of answers to we've looked at plant population um yeah we looked at silica and the influence of silica um on trying to resist the disease being taken up into the actual stem and there's still lots of question marks to answer with you know these sorts of uh, projects that we've got i think the key is really is, is that you know we've got a variety now which is called 606 so i've got 606 B3F, which is showing really good tolerance to the disease, better than Psychot 714 B3F. In the actual presence of disease in your paddock, if you've got medium to high levels, you should be growing that variety. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, we have tested a lot of products in within our R&D program, up to 60 different products over about a five-year, six-year period. Yeah, no, it's a lot, isn't it? Yeah, it is a lot. Yeah, looking at different things from, you know, uh, ways of actually managing the picks and, and applications of, of different foliars as well as seed treatments to help with this disease to try and give the plant the best opportunity to get away from it. But, you know, it's still early days, I think, when it comes to that sort of stuff. 
yeah. in terms of finding something. Yep. Yeah, and it's becoming, you know, increasingly hard to sort of get that early crop because of the yields we're chasing with these new varieties. We've got higher expectations. So if you do have higher levels of verde in your field, it might pay to, to sort of lower your yield, you know, budget for a lower yield, I guess, um, plan for, for a lower yield and, and focus on getting that crop off maybe, you know, three, three weeks earlier. Well, I think it's it's like this season. The guys, you know, that are actually they've used picks to create early crops. They're picked and they're ginned, and they've yeah, got their money yeah. in the bank. You know, but the guys that are a little bit later trying to grab that extra fruit, well, you know, they've tended to be still sitting in paddocks, and they've just got the crop picked in some cases. Um, you know, so it's similar with the disease. It's, you know, I think you take what you can get, get reasonable yield off it, and and, and get your paddocks back in shape. We know with the disease that it will, um, you know, it, it will live on cotton plants for a period of time after you've picked it. You really need to make sure that crop is, is basically been you know, mulched, taken into the ground and rotted before you actually get to the next crop because cotton plants are a host of the disease. Very good. And I'll just apologise for all the background noise we've got here, the plants pumping in the background, and then this place is busier than Times Square this time of the year but yep a lot of seed being pumped through the pipes at the moment that's right yep so bobby we'll start to sort of wrap it up and i'll get you to sort of finish on what what are the main tips you'd give to growers leading to this season you know there's the forecast at the moment are showing we're sort of probably looking at another cooler summer with with a fair bit of rainfall i mean that can change at a drop of a hat but i'm you know, what are the main tips you'd give to growers in regards in to lowering the impact of vert on their crops? I think one of the major keys is know what disease is there, what your inoculant levels are in your paddocks, because yep. then you can select the paddocks with lower levels of the disease, um, you know, and then you can select the right variety. So if you do have that moderate to high, well, you, you pick the 606 B3F in those paddocks if, if you've got to grow those fields. Yeah, have have a well-developed and fine tilt fields that are slightly higher in terms of the beds because heat tends to be a good thing with this disease. So if the soils are cool, the disease tends to be more you know, virulent. Yep. Um, and similar with nitrogen levels, don't over-nitrogen, put too much nitrogen on, on, on your paddocks, you know, which means just do a, 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 a nitrogen budget based on what your expected yields are, what you think you'll use. Yeah. Um, maybe pre-irrigate rather than water up. We don't want to be putting, you know, cold water on paddocks yeah, yeah. Um, that are full of disease because that can bring the disease on at a very early stage. Um, and probably develop a root system that penetrates below 30 centimetres. You know, we've seen some of the work that Steve Allen did on both um, furrow and also overhead irrigation. And yep. certainly the disease lives in that sort of top 30 centimetres, 15 to 30 centimetres of soil and with lateral irrigations, the root systems aren't as, as developed as far irrigation. So yeah, a lot of definitely. the root systems in that top 30 centimetres. So you want to make sure that regardless of whether you're on those different irrigation systems, the root system, you know, is, is deep. Yep. Yep. Also, you can utilise products in season at the moment that impacts on the microsclerosis going back into the soil. There's one product that has been developed over the last few years. Yep. Um, Still in early days, but certainly if you can reduce the amount of disease 
leaves and stems that are going back into the ground, that's got to be a positive in terms of your knocker levels in the Yeah, soil. definitely, definitely. But I think it, it's pretty, you know, it's good to note that they, these products that may reduce some of the inoculum them going back into the soil are definitely not silver bullets for the disease. You, you sort of can't expect to be able to apply, apply a product and get rid of it. Um, yeah, I, yeah. Agree, I agree. And I think it's not one tool that's going to you know, fix this disease. It's a oh, matter 100%. of actually looking at the different manage, management things that you can do to reduce your, your, your inoculum levels. Um, and one of them is obviously crop rotation. We know that there's other crops that are non-hosts of this disease. Um, with a good crop rotation, you know, you can drop off those um, yeah, inoculum levels in your soil. And certainly Dr. Karen Kirkby, who's a pathologist, has, has seen that over a number of years. And I guess the big one is, and we've said it a couple of times already, is just really look at that come clean, go clean, because you don't want to be transferring um, disease from one healthy paddock, one, sorry, disease paddock to healthy paddocks or paddocks that are fairly new because the disease can build up very, very quickly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, after seeing the impact that vert can have on a lot of crops, mate, if I was a, a cotton grower down in southern New South Wales, I'd have tighter security than Buckingham Palace at the moment, I think, for vert. I agree with you. <laughs> right, mate, well, um, we might wrap that up there. Thank you very much for, for giving us your important time to, to join us today and have a bit of a yarn with us, mate. No much worries, appreciated. and I'm glad you've said that I taught you everything you know. There you go. <laughs> Might be a good or a bad thing. <laughs> Thanks, Bobby. Bye-bye. A really good episode there. Thank you to Bobby for joining me for that one. Vert's really one of those things that we probably won't have a silver bullet for within the next five years. Like I said in the podcast, we do have some things coming down the pipeline from our fantastic breeders at CSIRO. There's some really promising progress being made in the area of plant host resistance for verticillium wilt, but... You know, we're going to have to do all the things Bobby and I discussed and probably more to to reduce the severity of vert on your farm if you do have it and reduce the risks of vert coming onto your farm if you don't have it already. Some of you may have heard of CSD's new research program called the Richard Williams Research Initiative, which uh, funds grower-facing research um, in collaborations with other organisations, for example, the CRDC. One of the um, research initiatives currently being undertaken is all around verticillium wilt, trying to collaborate ideas around the disease and form a a protocol, I guess, for, for reducing the impact of vert on your farm and, and some, some of the other ways that we can help reduce vert. So that program is under the way at the moment and there is a lot of research being done, especially around the Nemoy down into the Macquarie and you'll start seeing some of the outcomes of that program hopefully shortly after we have a few years of running that verticillium wilt research initiative. So that's all from me on this one, guys. Thank you for listening. All the best for the remainder of the growing season, but I'm sure you'll hear from me again shortly with another podcast. (laughs) 